Just a couple of ghouls talking about the fun things in life, murder and monsters. Each week, crooks will give you reasons to stay in the house, while creeps will give you reasons not to. You don't have to believe in cryptids to hear a creepy take on what's in your neck of the woods, but it's more than a squatch for sure. Even if you've heard of the crime, you haven't heard the crooked take on it. Tune in each Friday for the fun things in life. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Crooks and Creeps, a true crime, paranormal, comedy, haha, funny, horror, cryptid podcast. If you have any interest at all, we cover it, I promise. We pretty much have everything <laughs> under the rug um, when it comes to this. And I am one of your hosts. I am Crooks. And I'm Creeps. And today we are jumping right into our first two um, stories that we have for you. Our first episode ever on this podcast. And we are super stoked about it. And we have got a spooky, scary treat for you. I know when it comes to mine. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of people are going to like it. It's a little bit of a niche story, and I can't really spook, spook, I cannot speak <laughs> for creeps, but I'm, I'm sure that she's got a scary good story, too. Oh, well, it's, it's super niche. I don't know if it's, like, scary, but I'm really excited for yours because I feel like when people do true crime podcasts, they start off with, like, the big hitters to get their names out there. I'm like, listen, there are five thousand jeffrey dahmer documentaries give me something fresh i want a hot take oh <laughs> uh, well this one is definitely fresh or should i say it's not so fresh when you're talking about the dead body that i'm talking about today and the story just recently got a little bit of a new theory added on to it and i'm really excited about it and for those of you who don't know we both are living in the beautiful state of Kentucky, and this story takes place in our hometown. An homage for our pilot episode. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited. So we really didn't decide which person's going to go first you. with their story. I've decided. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I've decided because, like, okay, so we both listen to And That's Why We Drink, and we both love them, but <laughs> at the end of every episode, because Christine tells her story last, and she does true crime, and at the end, Emma's always like, I don't know how to recover from that. So I think where mine is less serious, I'm going to do mine at the end. Okay. That, okay. That's fair. Okay. that That's fair. Okay. I, I totally get that. Okay. So it looks like I'm going to be doing mine. So if you couldn't tell from my name, yes, I am the side of the podcast that deals with all of your true crime. And unfortunately, or, or fortunately for us, um, we dip into a little bit of the paranormal when it comes to true crime. And I have an interest in both of these. So I am going to be doing that today. And our hometown is none other than the beautiful Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Triangulate us, why don't you? <laughs> well, they're going to know anyway, because I, I basically just said we're doing an homage to... Well, you said we're doing an homage, so... To the state! Well... <laughs> we have a whole-ass metropolis! It's called Louisville! <laughs> okay, we live somewhere in Kentucky that isn't Harrodsburg, <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> 
Well, to be fair, it's only Harrodsburg until 2024. Have you seen that on the water tower? What are you, what? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, on the water tower on the bypass, it says Harrodsburg, or Welcome to Harrodsburg, and then it says 1774, which is older than America, uh, to 2024. And that's it. That's all it says. What's I don't know if they're renaming the town or if it's no longer a township. I don't know. We might all die. <laughs> Some sort of Jonestown something's going to happen to Harrodsburg. They're going to spike the water and <laughs> kill us all. That would be terrifying. You know what? I think there are more churches than people, so they could pull that off. There's, uh, last time that I counted, there there is 16 churches within the city limits. Oh my god. And that we only have six stoplights. It's <laughs> <laughs> not okay. <laughs> that technically means that there's like two and a half churches between Are each stoplight. Stop <laughs> <laughs> so that's <laughs> listen. Anybody that says Kentucky ain't Southern, we're part of the Bible Belt, and you can fight me. <laughs> I'm ninety-five percent looking at you, best friend. <laughs> We're, I'm 95% sure that um, Harrodsburg, Kentucky, which is not our hometown, wink, wink, is like the biggest religious boom place ever because it has so many just churches. and. Oh my God. And they're all different denominations. Like we have Pentecostals, we have Baptists, we have Catholic. Episcopal, Presbyterian. We have a Protestant church. We have a Baptist. We have Shakers. We have, sh- we have Shakers and Quakers and Oats. We have everything. <laughs> so it's a little, except we don't have Judaism, but I'm sure they're going to have, we're going to have a mosque put up somewhere soon because we're getting a large influx of uh, people who practice Judaism, and that's really cool. Like a little bit of variety, a little bit of diversity. I love that. Yes, I'm loving that. Now, I'm not gonna love that. That would be 17 religious practicing places <laughs> between six stoplights, but <laughs> that still would be pretty interesting. Um. So anyway, back to triangulating us. So today, um, on our episode, I have happily titled it Episode One. Harrodsburg Horrors, The Dancing Lady. What? Yes. So. Yes, this 1800. <laughs> uh, so let me get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> let me let me jump right in and talk to you about it. So Harrodsburg, Kentucky is the oldest town this side of the Appalachian Mountains. And knowing the history of Kentucky and how it came to be, it's not really far-fetched to hear stories of the paranormal, murder mysteries, folklore, cryptids, and so much more. Although Kentucky is a brilliant and beautiful place, which is why in the 1800s so many people flocked to the sleepy old town to partake in the nationally acclaimed Graham Springs, murder seemed to be on people's minds. Hold on, I'm sorry, we have a Graham Springs? We had a, we had a Graham Springs hotel. We had one. And um, the majority of my notes is talking about this place, and then we're going to get into the murder mystery. In 1828, the previously known Harrisburg Springs and Greenville Springs combined to create a mega mineral spring hotel known as Graham Springs. And for those who don't know, mineral springs are naturally occurring springs that create hard water, which is water that has minerals located inside of it. A lot of these mineral springs um, were very popular in the 1800s. It kind of became a trend because the water was said to have healing properties. So it was the 1800s. Yeah, it was. It sounded like some 1800s shit. <laughs> it, it is. It's it's definitely that 18, 1800s buku magic stuff. Um, and a lot of people really loved the idea of mineral spring waters because people were flocking to these places all across the country. 
and were trying to get a hold of some mineral water and go take baths in these like springs because people were saying that it was great for a lot of things and like healing people which like if you consider that previously they either were drinking and bathing from water sources that were contaminated with wild animal poop or dead bodies or city sewage or what have you and then now they have access to fresh spring water it probably was a lot healthier. oh yeah no it was it was it's pretty healthy and um we still have this mineral water in kentucky but it just gets filtered out with all of the uh all of the water treatment plants but we still technically have hard water like our drinking water is still considered hard hard water which like isn't most most of kentucky's water is hard water though right because of the limestone yeah because of the limestone deposits. which is why we're the bourbon state anyway <laughs> so basically people flocked to the site of the newly um combined graham springs hotel and a lot of these people ended up taking a train into nicholasville kentucky and then taking a stagecoach to drive another 25 miles to the springs so not only did people go to like travel to Nicholasville through train, they also paid money to get a stagecoach to travel to the middle of nowhere, essentially, to this hotel, just to partake in the springs. Because of that, it ended up being a very popular tourist destination. Honestly, it put Expedia to shame with people flocking to it in any way possible. It's so wild because people from Harrodsburg, like, it's fun and a trip and an outing for us to go to Nicholasville. Yeah, it's very... Um... And we have a tourist tax and everybody that lives here is like, <laughs> we have six stoplights. How? how? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's funny that it, it kind of makes sense why we have that because of this historical stuff and not a lot of people know about it. And here's a little bit of uh, fun magic information. This is my Mineral Springs fun fact. Proclaimed by many, the springs were famous for being, and this is a quote, considered good for the bowels, kidneys, liver, digestion, appetite, and skin, as well as being a laxative and a sedative. The waters were used to cure indigestion, urinary disorders, skin diseases, dropsy, which is edema, rheumatism, and bone and joint inflammations, and supposedly even improved the mood and strength of the sick. But here's the kicker. It was believed that the springs would aggravate your heart and lung conditions. <laughs> So come to these springs, but not if you have tuberculosis. You stay in the countryside. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, oh, you have um, eczema? You can go take a nice bath in this hard water, but you're going to end up with, like, heart disease. <laughs> okay, but also, drink more water. It's good for your skin. Don't drink bottled water. It's full of microplastics. Don't drink tap water. It's full of microplastics. Filter your good-for-your-skin water through a plastic filter in your plastic Brita and we'll assume that that doesn't have microplastics in I it. I can't say anything because I have a Brita <laughs> and I love her. But... You can't win for losing, man. As I lift up my fucking gallon jug of plastic water to drink. <laughs> it, even back then you were winning some and losing some. You know, you could cure your UTI but then you would have miner's lung or black lung. <laughs> Something would end up being aggravated by it. Okay, but that low-key makes sense because of all the coal deposits. Like, uh, and springs run through mountains and are underground and stuff, so I kind of get that. Yeah, it's 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 kind of sad that people went here to get healed, and they would feel great for a couple days, and then they'd go right back to what they were feeling like. But also, fun fact, um, people back then didn't get yeast infections as much because they didn't wear, like, closed crotch underwear. Well, you know what... Because you, you said UTIs and it made me think of it, sorry. Well, you know what? Maybe we should go back to that because... <laughs> oh, I'm very anti... Because uh, that would... That... 
I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that. I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I don't I, wear underwear. I, I mean, it is what it is. Now, now that we know a little bit about the Mineral Springs, we're going to dive into architectural history. So before it was Graham Springs, it was called Greenville Springs, which was first opened in 1808 under a dude named Tobias Eastland. And according to um, registry, over 1,500 guests stayed at the Springs in its first season of operation, which is impressive considering the time period and the fact that Harrisburg today has a total population of 9,120 people, give or take. So literally 20% of the population stayed there in its first season. And Greenville Springs apparently had pretty sweet digs for people to want to come and stay there. And no one really knows what was there prior. But we do know from some people that used to stay there in accounts that the springs was lit. And in 1809, the springs got its first major facelift. I'm sorry, we're not going to act like you didn't just say that. Did you just say the springs was lit? The springs was lit. I need it on a shirt. This Springs was lit. Okay, Harrodsburg, um, Harrodsburg uh, Tourism, come and find me. <laughs> I will help you design a shirt saying the Springs is Diamond lit. Diamond Point, I work here now. It's actually kind of funny because um, we're going to get into why the Springs was lit is even more funny as we oh go down. Oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> so the Springs got its first major facelift and the grounds ended up expanding with a 112 foot porch attached to a stunning huge hotel which now included a ballroom and a nice fancy bathhouse. So it got a big facelift in 1809. Um, But apparently there was some trouble in paradise as Tobias sold the springs to a man named Henry Palmer, who saw value in the springs and then shoved money down its throat for renovations. So in the next seven years, Palmer made sure that his money had talked and showed it at the springs by flaunting new bathhouses, many new bathhouses actually, a bar of extensive proportions with alcohol to serve at it, Cottages, a large dining room, a freaking theater, complete with an entire troupe of performers. Now, listen here. A theater with a whole troupe of personal performers and a pleasure garden. I'm sorry. Is he trying to appeal to every type of crowd at once? Also, where is this shit? Because we don't have it. Uh, Well, I'm going to tell you later on. But I want to know now. Well, I'm getting there. I'm only on page two of six. Okay. Okay. So Palmer ended up being a loser. And then a man by Dr. Christopher Graham came into the scene. While Palmer was rolling in money and creating a playground for the witch and health-seeking people, the doctor had other plans. Dr. Graham waltzed into the Greenfield Springs, basically smooth-talked Palmer, and bought the springs from him in the summer of 1827. So this is a while after it first opened. And after that, Dr. Graham then bought the aforementioned Harrodsburg Springs, which is a two different things, from a man named Captain David Sutton, which was a spa he opened in 1807. So Dr. Graham not only bought the Greenville Springs from Palmer, he also bought the Harrodsburg Springs from Captain Sutton. And Captain Sutton opened up the springs that were called Harrodsburg Springs in 1807. And Dr. Graham literally purchased this thing from Dr. Sutton for $10,000 back in 1827 Mm. or 1828. Sorry, back in 1828, which if you're curious about the current day equivalent is $313,696. I'm sorry. I just stopped breathing. Yeah. And the reason why it was so expensive was because he bought 60 to 70 acres of land. The, The springs, the Harrisburg Springs were 60 to 
70 acres of land that he purchased in one lump sum. Okay, now tell me the horrible part. What did he build on it? <sighs> so, this is going to be a long piece of information, but I needed to include it because under Dr. Graham, this is all of the restorations and improvements that went into the mineral springs that he combined together. So both of these properties were, were um, conveniently right next to each other, but separated by a lot of land in between them, hence the 60 to 70 acres. But on this, in 1829, the grounds now included a bandstand, a ballroom that has been renovated to 50 feet by 100 feet, multiple bathhouses, two rows of complete cabins, a battle door or badminton court, and a bowling alley on top of everything else that was there before. Oh, no. Further on in his life, Dr. Graham instructed there was going to be a new brick hotel because the wooden hotel was not quite his style. The new brick hotel then became four stories high and were able to accommodate a thousand guests, which is, again, a lot. This new hotel boasted a long colonial promenade, a second ballroom that was built to be 50 by 100 feet again, a 150-person dining room, an elegant saloon, and a gaming room for chess and backgammon. Overall, the grounds had been expanded to 280 acres by 1850 with an artificial lake, a grotto, an ice house, an aqueduct, and personal reservoir, walking and riding paths, three additional bowling alleys, bathhouses, warm showers and steam rooms, whole avenues of private cottages for wealthy guests, a boardwalk through a grove of locust trees led from the hotel to the springs, and octag <laughs> octagonal? octagonal gazebos stood atop of the spring houses at the Saloon Springs and Graham Springs. Water was then sent to treatment rooms from employees who carried buckets and gallons of water to these treatment rooms, put them in the showers and tubs for people, and on top of that, a professor of dancing was hired to conduct cotillion parties, fancy dress, and masquerade balls. Okay, but the bath service is <laughs> the least wild of all of that. <laughs> and here is where we get a little fishy. Dr. Graham also had admittedly owned a band of slave musicians who provided entertainment at the Springs during the summer months and were hired out to perform in Louisville during the winter months because it wasn't so lit in the winter here. And three of these musicians ended up escaping to Canada in 1841 for because of the terrible conditions they were put under by Dr. Okay, Graham. Okay, well, like, <laughs> not good for them that they were, you know, abused, but great for them that they got away. So, unfortunately, the Mineral Springs would not see its downfall in a beautiful manner. Instead, it's going to go kicking and screaming as if it was passed from basically man to man. So, it was passed around like a cheese tray at a party. And That was the most innocent analogy you could have went with right there. And <laughs> I just love you for that. <laughs> it was terrible. And it all started with a weird thing happening. Um, Dr. Graham sold his grand dose project to the U.S. government in 1853, no, no. only 10 years after his expensive restoration. So basically, government. he was like, um, I'm done with this. He basically said, I'm done playing The Sims and sold it to the government because he was tired of playing on that server. Oh my god, but it was like 70 acres. You could have just sold seven sets of 10 acres. Don't ever sell it uh, to the government. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't 70 acres. It, it ended up being expanded to over 280. Don't ask me to do real math. I, I picked a little <laughs> number on purpose. <laughs> he sold it. He sold it after 10 years and then 
After a while, the springs were purchased for $100,000 and were used to build a military asylum for disabled veterans. Actually better than I expected it to be. Yes, which is great. But then 1859 came around. Oh, God. Oh, no. So this is why the springs was lit. Sadly, in 1859, a great fire destroyed the main buildings and patients were moved to Washington, D.C. to an asylum up there shortly after because of the damage from the fire. They couldn't just move them to Tennessee. They had to go to D.C. You have to cross a mountain range to do that. Uh, Yeah, country roads take me home to Washington, (laughs) D.C. Because the springs was lit, actually. The actual springs weren't damaged by the fire though right because like it's the springs the springs weren't damaged because water's wet and fire right, can't do that well, but... i didn't want to say that and sound stupid and you'd be like no it <laughs> no. boiled the water no 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 no. just like just like all the pretty stuff that dr graham had made pretty much went up in flames and here's a little back pedal um so this is around the time of the civil war and i forgot to mention that in 1855 it was sold for one hundred twenty thousand dollars to a captain captain philip thomas or thompson and he wanted to turn it back into a mineral springs resort after dr graham had sold it but then the outbreak of the civil war happened and um yeah they were using that as a hospital for wounded soldiers and stuff up until after 1862 So 1859 to 1862, they used it as a hospital for wounded soldiers where a lot of amputations, things like that happened. So that building is no longer standing there, right? No. Have they rebuilt? Uh, no. Because you know it would be hella haunted. Uh, yes. It's not near Perryville Battlefield, is it? No. And I'm going to triangulate it in a minute for you. So fun fact, Kentucky was a split state in the Civil War, so... Most families had relatives that fought on different sides due to differing opinions. Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit of a trivial history for me. My grandfather's family was one of the very few families who had all of their able men fight for the Union only. So um, a lot of people had split families. And our family was one of the very few who had all of their people fight for the Union and not the Confederacy. Well, that's the thing about the Civil War, though, is it was literally father on son, brother on brother. And like... Previously, like, it was never that. It was Scots versus Brits. It was never family versus family. Right. So the property and all, after it was destroyed and stuff in 1887, it was auctioned for 19000 and a dollar to a guy named Edgar H. Gaither, who in turn then sold it to the Kentucky Real Estate and Improvement Association the following year. He literally bought a piece of history and was like, nah, fam, I'm good, and sold it back because he's a white man, and that's a white man thing to do. Okay, but I'm pretty sure you can get, like, allowances for it being a historical property. Like, you get, I don't know, some kind of relief from tax or something. You get something for it. He would have, but he instead... Like, you can register it with the historical society and stuff. Right? And I just, I don't understand. But anyway, so a man named John Lewis Castle bought it in 1888. He built a brick residence on it, and then that was passed down to a man named Ben Casey Allen. Allen then reopened the Graham Springs in 1911 and continued operation until 1934 when the Great Depression shut down the business, which is literally the longest it went in operation as a health resort, even after the major facelifts from its previous owners. So this guy, who had no money pretty much, reopened it, and it was more successful than any of the old white men shoveling money into its throat. Good for him. So that was really cool. Um, then after that, the property was sold to a William A. Cottle, who operated a sanitarium specializing in collodial sulfur baths. 
out of the 1888 brick residence, which was then converted into the new Graham Springs Hotel. And these sulfur baths were operated until 1942. So the collodial sulfur baths were used to treat skin problems again, like eczema. Um, It could also do joint pain, arthritis, digestive problems, and even insomnia. And a lot of these people, though, they ended up taking these sulfur baths, ended up getting very sick, and a couple of them even started dying after taking these baths. So, uh, not that great. And as you know, Kentucky was full of sanitariums back in the day, so obviously a lot of them are gone. But the ones that are still standing right now, aside from the little bit that does from the Graham Springs, are Cosayers, Central State, Eastern State, Western State, and Waverly Hills. And not many people knew we had a sanatorium in Harrisburg at one point. Which is weird. It isn't talked about as much, but it makes sense considering the population that we have. <laughs> right. Bad juju. Stay away. Okay. Now, well, actually, actually, if you look at the fact that we were a sanatorium area, and then now most of our like citizens have drug problems or alcohol problems or right. cult-like mentality or other like behavioral and mental right um things that need to be addressed i can understand that yeah (laughs) it's a lot and i thought that was funny i was like i have to put this in here because i actually didn't know about any of the sanatoriums except waverly so i learned something today well i think i'm gonna cover uh cosairs because um reasons uh but uh Basically, now that we've got all of the history out of the way, we're going to get into the topic of today's crooks, and that's the Dancing Lady. So, what do you know about the Dancing Lady of Graham Springs? Um, well, seeing as how I didn't know that we had a Grand Springs, a sanatorium, or, you know, any of this other stuff, you tell me. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> I know um, that it was the 1800s. Okay, well, you're not wrong. It is the 1800s. So, The legend goes that in 1840s, while Dr. Graham still had possession of the springs, a beautiful young lady checked into the hotel. She had told the desk clerk that her name was Virginia Stafford and that she was the daughter of a prominent judge from Louisville. So she spun this tale saying that she was visiting before her father would be down and that he would be coming to the resort within the next couple of days. Now, desk clerk was obviously thinking this chick was hot because he didn't ask for any identification, proof of who she was, nothing. He basically was just like, all right, whatever you say, and moseyed her up to her room without any sort of anything. Babe, it was the 1800s. They didn't do that. No, they, no, they're supposed to. On this, it said that they were supposed to, but he just didn't check for any sort of anything. Seriously, they had identification then? You were supposed to bring papers. Huh. And whenever you checked into this hotel, because it was a health resort, you were supposed to have papers and like oh, a booking thing. Okay, yeah. And he didn't have anything. I or was she didn't have like anything. Tavern rules, I guess. She basically just had her suitcase, and he was just like, "Okay, whatever you say," and was like, "Okay, come on up to this room. I love you." <laughs> um. Now, let's take a second to remember the layout of this bad boy. The Graham Springs had a huge hotel, ballroom, and several other sought-after activities. And this young woman basically retires to her room until later in the night when she starts to hear music. According to guests, she saunters her way down into the ballroom a bit after the music starts and then begins to find her way between multiple dance partners. Um, The younger men were smitten with her and wanted to be the next person to have a chance to dance with Miss Virginia Stafford. It is said there was an unofficial line to dance with her. So this woman captivated pretty much everyone in the room. And 
According to all the accounts that I brought up, anything that I could find was written. There were men who wrote in their diaries that this woman was like the most beautiful woman they had ever seen. And they were literally having to like ask people if they were next in line or not to try and get in a line to dance with her. As the music filled the night, her footsteps were becoming more passionate with each song. Young men were having the time of their life dancing with a lively, passionate, youthful lady. Everyone was enjoying themselves until a scream pierced the night and the music abruptly stopped. A young man filled with horror had realized that Virginia Stafford had died dancing in his arms. Oh my god, did she have a heart attack? The doctor at the resort confirmed her death after he had slunk to the floor and screamed for help. Now, a lot of people think that she... Ended up becoming dehydrated. And with the way that the dressing was back then. That she had constricted herself so much. That she had either forced a heart attack upon herself. From dancing and not taking breaks. Because she was literally dancing between people. She was not sitting. Not fanning herself. And it was hot. It was in the summer. Yeah. And you're wearing like layers of wool and spun yarn. Yeah. And it's summer in Kentucky. Well yeah. That and too. you know this place hey, had. Do we have a month? What? Do we have a month? What month it is? They just said in the in the 1840s. They didn't say anything oh, about months. I was going to say, if it's like July or August, it's like 100 degrees plus. Yeah. So she basically just dropped dead in this man's arms um, halfway through the song. Okay, but this is like, I, I wouldn't say common in cultures, but like there's a... Um, an Asian myth about red shoes making a girl dance all night. There's Scottish tales about the fairies making you dance until you die of exhaustion. Like, so people really were dying from dancing too much in these clothes. Like, yes. legit. No, they were. They're, they were. And um, a lot of, that's what the doctors just assumed, that she had died of dehydration or she had a heart attack, which back then was called something else. Um, so, not knowing what to do, Dr. Graham and the others, because he was still around here. He was at the hotel at this time. And he's the one who told the story. Um, Dr. Graham and the others consulted the desk clerk. And the desk clerk reported to them that she left no other name to get in touch with other than her father, who she claimed was scheduled to come to the hotel in a few days. So, days turned into a week and no one came for her body. It is said that a Judge Stafford did in fact exist, but he had no daughters. So, she gave a false name. Yeah, and she danced all night. She probably snuck the fuck out. Right. Shocked and upset with no one coming to see her to the grave, the staff and some of the guests of the Graham Springs held a private funeral for her and buried her in a private grave. Today, her gravestone holds these words, unknown, hollowed and hushed to be the place of the dead, step softly, bow head. That's actually really beautiful and kind of spooky-ooky. It's at a place that you may know today as Young's Park. Mm, should, I? should I? It used to be the old wooden park next to Ephraim oh, McDowell. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That is where that grave Seriously? is. Seriously? And that is where the Graham Springs were. Is that where the well is? Yep. Oh my that god! Is, that, is that is part of the original Graham Springs well. I always wondered why there was a well there, because like in my lifetime, there it's never been wet, ever. That is where all of the people from the um, workers would go and draw water. And they they recently um, did, like, the city beautification thing where they put some murals up. And there's a mural of, like, a big get-together and a dance. And that's the dancing lady scene. That's awesome. Yes. yes. So, after years of searching, various people across the United States were working to confirm the actual identity of the dancing lady. Because 
um, surprise, a lot of people were. And there's a man named Todd Matthews, who is the current program director of the Doe Network, Jane Doe Network. And he is also the former director of case management at the Nam Us. And he believes he knows who she really was. So Todd has been working with a woman named Lynn Smelser, and she holds a PhD. She's a researcher, writer, and scholar with a doctorate from Michigan State University, and they've been working very closely together, and they believe they have figured out who the dancing lady truly was. Because in 1938, the Lexington Leader, which is a newspaper back in the day, published a story saying that the mystery of the dancing lady had been solved, and her, her name was actually, get this, Molly Black Sewell. Really? Yes. Relation? Um, I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> so for my last my old last name was Sewell and I looked on, on DNA yes, to not call us crooks and creeps for identity protection and then give your last name well that was my la- my old one that's not what I am anymore Um, but it was told that she had allegedly fled her floundering husband in Tennessee to come to Kentucky and Smelzer um, she stated that she located a stamp collecting club that has a Confederate stamp on an envelope addressed to Molly Sewell of Tazewell, Tennessee. This is the same town where Joe Sewell and his wife Molly Black Sewell lived originally. And one story goes from there that his wife left him and that sh- he said she was the lady that danced herself to death. But the stamp club has evidence that she was alive and well in Tennessee in the 1860s. So they think that this might be her. Even though it says that there was evidence of her being alive in the 1860s. But the thing is... A lot of death records, especially back then, if you weren't known, your death record wasn't going to go back in time. It would take decades if they had to figure out who you were. So she could have said she was still, they could have said she was still alive in the 1860s, but really 40, 20 years for that death record to go back, if they still didn't know who she was, kind of makes sense, you know? Like, I could see her not being alive, and I can see her being alive. Now, does Smelser believe in this? No, she doesn't. She has her own theory, and I like this theory as well. I'm sorry, I just realized we're sitting here with headphones on, and we have no audio feedback. Why are we fucking wearing headphones? What do you mean we have no audio feedback? Like, I can't hear in real time what's happening through the headphones. So why are we wearing them? Um, I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. What's her theory? So, her theory is that, basically, hang on a minute, let me go back to my notes. This is what she said in a interview. I have uncovered more stories stating that she did not come there alone, but the man who was with her abandoned her when she collapsed. One story reads, he asked to be alone with her and then fled through a window. In addition, there are rumors saying that Dr. Graham sent his nephew out of state on an all-expenses-paid trip to New Orleans the same week the unknown dancer died. It was also uncovered that Dr. Robert Graham's nephew, Dr. Christopher Graham, was convicted of killing a man in New Orleans in 1854, so not long after. What was the M.O.? Um, no one knows why he was convicted. They just thought it was a, pa- a crime of passion. Well, I mean, like, but how did he kill him? No clue. I could not find anything that said that. And that would make sense if he did kill her because Smelser believes the reason Dr. Graham sent his nephew away was because he was known to be violent 
and she also found accounts noting that the nephew was living at the hotel where his uncle had been trying to help him kick alcoholism and violent tendencies towards women oh and especially if she was dancing with a bunch of other men throughout the night that probably like set him off yes and it was even written in dr graham's journal how he was lamenting about his nephew having all of these problems and not being able to cure him Mm. um and they thought that him going to the springs was going to help him with that since the waters were healing waters Mm -hmm. yeah it turns out it wasn't um, but currently, the team of Matthews and Smelzer are trying to get the proper paperwork done to exhume the body of the dancing la- lady. Um, they're going to take DNA evidence to see if they can find anyone related to her. And possibly there could be locals of Harrodsburg that are related to her as well, based on some of their th- uh, How are data. They taking DNA evidence? What do you mean? They're going to basically take whatever they can, um, probably bone marrow. From 200-year-old bones? They're going to try. They're going to try and take DNA. Well, you can take, you can take, you can take DNA, though, from fossils. So they're going to try and do some carbon dating, do some DNA stuff, um, try and get whatever they can to figure out her lineage and um, basically figure out who they are. And that was in 2021 that they said they were starting the process of getting that done. So they could be doing it sometime soon. Um, now here's where we're going to get a little spooky and then I'm going to be done. So I asked Facebook the other night if anyone around here had stories of witnessing the paranormal side of the dancing woman. Now I have one account that was reported on television, but other than that, I really didn't have anyone else bite, but I know I have heard several people say that they have witnessed this dancing woman um but this is the one that freaks me out (laughs) um so according to a report by fox 56 in lexington a local woman once allegedly encountered a ghostly figure near the gravesite who told her she was lost and was trying to find her way back to the harrisburg hotel ball when the woman explained that the ballroom had long since burned ashes the mournful figure began to weep and then disappeared Now, this is also why the Springs is lit. I also found that it is rumored that the fire that took place in 1859 that destroyed most of the main building was at the fault of the dancing lady. There is an old tale that states that the night before the building caught fire, the dancing lady was seen dancing in the old ballroom, then weeping to herself. It has also been passed down from generations that the dancing lady had appeared in the fire when the hotel caught fire. Okay, but I thought she was murdered. So she she was murdered and then set the fire. It they they think that if she was murdered, that that okay, could be and her she revenge. Just dropped dead of a heart attack. It was just a weird coincidence. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, until the body of the dancing lady, Miss Molly Black Sewell, is exhumed and DNA is swabbed, her identity and her death will remain unsolved. I like how they're calling her by the alias. Instead of, like, Jane Doe. Like, that's weird to me. Yeah. Is that, that's not typical procedure now, is it? No, if you have a, if you have a person who is not identified, they usually go by Jane Doe, or they go by, like, the county they were found in, like, Orange County Jane Doe, or um, things like that. Uh, But you can, you can see the shift in that stuff, like, comparing the cases to, like, the the Black Dahlia, like, that is not 
Jane Doe, obviously, but it was, it's a famous case of a Jane Doe. So they eventually figured out who it was. But now the protocol is like county Jane Doe. Um, But I guess where this is such an old story, it kind of makes sense that they're not calling her that. uh, But they're looking to exhume her body. And that is the dancing lady of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Well, that was a lot more than I expected it to be. I can't believe you found any story pertaining to Harrodsburg, much less one with that much meat to it. So I'm impressed. It was a lot. I did so much research into this. I know, because we decided we were going to start this, what, like a month and a half ago? Yes. (laughs) This is our first episode. (laughs) So, I I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was cool. And I went on Ancestry and tracked my DNA, and no matches have been made in relation to her. So, I mean, I might, because I have family from Tennessee on both sides of my family. Like, that's where we migrated toward the, the top part of the United States from Mm -hmm. so but I thought that was really interesting and I had no idea what that that was her real name that's why I about freaked out and called you the other night oh really (laughs) yes yes because I was like ah (laughs) I have to tell you I was like oh but I can't I'm excited to hear yours though because okay my throat hurts so I'm just gonna listen to you now we're sorry (laughs) we're sorry we had to take a break We're new at this, and we had to make sure it was going well. No, um, so mine is also an homage to Kentucky. Oh, yes. Um, and I'm actually really excited to be doing this story simply for the fact that people that are not from Kentucky mispronounce this motherfucking area, and I'm wanting on record, it's Louisville. (laughs) (laughs) We are not French. It is not Louisville. It's Louisville. We have a motherfucking whole ass castle. It's the castle of Versailles. It's not the castle of Versailles. It's Louisville. I'm sorry. I just, I feel your anger. <gasps> I feel your anger because when our friends from New York were down here, they were always like, it's Louisville. It's Versailles. I'm like, first of all, no, it's not. Second, Second of all, you don't live here. You have no say. It's Louisville. It's Versailles. Go to France. <laughs> Fight if, me. <laughs> if you want if you want to pronounce it the the French way, go to France. Kentucky wasn't settled by the French. Go well, away. So Kentucky was settled by the Native Americans. Well, the whole US was settled by the Native Americans. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. The Kentucky was forced to be settled by the white people. More specifically the Irish. The Eurocentric. The Eurocentric people. <laughs> The Euro, 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 whatever. I, I'm going to stop before mm-hmm. I get weird. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think of a cryptid that's around Louisville, though. That's so weird. What areas have you heard of in Louisville? Uh, the bad kind. Okay, well, like, we can't say the ghetto <laughs> on air. <laughs> no, that's not. No, I was going to say west, western Louisville. Like, the west part of Louisville. Like, do you know of any, like, specific street names, specific county names? Like, there's Jeffersonville, Jeffersonville, Taylorsville, Taylorsville uh, Simpsonville, county. Shelby County. Uh, I mean, I, I the whole area up there is pretty rough. Okay. Um, but it's not because it's a metropolis. It's just because there's speak, a lot of drugs. Would you... It's not even better! Well, would you... Would you... Wait a minute. I'm gonna get us right off of that real quick. Would you, 
<laughs> Would you say Louisville's a heavy Catholicized area? Heavily Catholicized? Oh, for sure. You have like really? you have like Trinity High like boys school and stuff See, up okay, there. Okay, so you know more than me. So <laughs> this is called the Pope Lick Monster. The Pope Lick Monster. The Pope Lick Monster. The po- Hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm not used to hearing about I am used to hearing about Pope's licking but not in that sense oh no <laughs> sorry that was me I'm, I'm sorry. excommunicated <laughs> oh no not the Catholics <laughs> oh god I'm sorry that was I gotta stop so, that like, was so not nice based on the name the Pope like monster I'm already terrified and what, I'm not a little boy what do you tell Sorry. What do you think he does? It's it's not got nothing to do with little boys. Let's not do that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There are no choir children here. Um, the Pope like a monster. Mm. I don't know. He sound. Oh, he, he, she, they, they sound terrifying. <clears throat> um, now in my in my list of cryptids, I don't think I would. I don't think I would pick being visited by the Pope Lick Monster just from the sheer name. Oh, no, no. He doesn't visit you. You visit him. I'm sorry, what? You go looking for him? You yeah, go, you, you go looking for every cryptid. Have you never seen Finding Bigfoot? I have seen Finding Bigfoot, and it's the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. It's like Ghost Adventures. I can't watch it without it, being angry. It's like Ghost Adventures. But <gasps> what for was big, that? But They're communicating with us. A fucking droplet of water <laughs> fell off a pipe. It's a 300-year-old it's building. It's a 300-year-old building. It's going to creak and moan. Also, we don't own the rights to Ghost Adventures or Finding Bigfoot. <laughs> when I heard the Pope like monster, I was like, oh, it's going to be some kind of a demon that has, like, a really long tongue. And he's going to scoop the eyeballs out of the Catholic um, heads of the area. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I was like, he eats popes. He does not. Well, it's, it's not that cool. Well, that's not fun. So the Pope Lick monster is called that because of the location. It's Pope Lick Road and it's Pope Lick um, Trestle, train trestle. So I think it's Pope Lick County maybe or Pope Lick Creek. I don't know. There's like four things named Pope Lick in this area. So that's what he is. There's four things named Pope Lick in Louisville. Yeah. The Metropolis. Mm-hmm. I, I also think I misspoke. I don't think it's a Metropolis. I think it's Metropolitan. Sorry, uh, Metropolitan. It's not Gotham City. Not okay. a, me, not me, a Metropolis, sorry. So, and I told you about this idea originally. Yes. I was going to do, like, little teasers. Little little haikus. Oh, um, yes. Kind of like the geoscopes yes. that Christine does. Oh, um, I'm so excited. But I think... So I'm going to do them on the first six episodes, just to get you thinking about what I'm about to tell you. And then after that, I think I'm only going to release them to Patreon. Okay. To get them excited about our upcoming story for the week. Okay. But I do have one prepared for this. I am so stoked. Different old tracks. A little vengeful goat calls out to the victim. Um, okay. Hang on a minute. First, first thought. It sounds like the goat man. It's it's similar, although he's also up in Maryland, and this is a Kentucky local. Yes. Second thing. Second thing. Can you repeat that second line for me? A little vengeful goat calls. A little vengeful goat calls. Okay. So, when I think Bat. of that... <laughs> 
I hate you. <laughs> it's only funny because I lean out of car windows and do it to people on the sidewalk. <laughs> we're just trying to go home. We're from hanging out and we're passing by a freaking Domino's and you're just like, Bleh. people are just trying to get their pizza and leave. I'm so confused and I love it. It's it's chaotic neutral. Nobody's harmed. <laughs> my god my tuberculosis okay (laughs) okay no so you uh get back on track okay Mm -hmm. so you said that and it's funny that you did that because i did think of you doing that out of the window because i was like that's that's totally what what creeps would do and then i thought again and i was like i thought of the little goat from the witch Mm -hmm. uh and i was like I hate this. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. Thanks, I hate it. But I'm excited to listen to more. Okay. So, most cryptids are just, like, out there, existing, living their best lives. Mm-hmm. This one is not like that. Um, this one is different because he is intentionally malicious. He's built different. He's built different. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But I thought you went to go search for him. Not he went to go search for you to shank. No, no, you search for him. He doesn't search for you. But when you search for him, he gonna kill you dead. <laughs> dead. D-E-D dead. D-E-E dead. Jesus. Okay. So, and you mentioned, like, um, <coughs> he sounds like a goat man. He does, but I didn't want to call him that because I wouldn't want you to think of, like, a satyr. Like, you know, Mr. Tumnus or, like, a fawn. Mr. Tumnus Like, out Grover. The woods. Because this is not that. Not at all. Mm-mm. So, what does he allegedly look like? Okay. We're going to get into that. I'm getting into that. Okay. Sorry. So, he's humanoid and animalistic, which is typical of most cryptids. Right. He presents as a goat-human hybrid. Sometimes people say he has sheep characteristics, but sheep are cute, so no. (laughs) (laughs) Just no. Um, He has fur along the majority of his body. Cool. Horns. Cool. And sometimes he's said to have glowing red eyes. Not cool. Though my personal theory is that this is just like panic-induced hallucination um, caused by the headlight of the train reflecting off of something. Because um, he haunts a train trestle. And a train trestle is different than a train track. A trestle is essentially a bridge, a railroad bridge. So this one specifically is 100 feet up in the air. Hmm. And it's 750 feet long. So when I say people go looking for him, they're playing on a train trestle that they can't get off of. Oh, this is very, um, stand by me. I would see glowing red eyes, too. (laughs) Uh, yeah, this is very stand by me, um, reminiscent, like, yikes. Okay, so he stands upright as a man. So he's bipedal, like, when he's standing. That's great. But he moves on all fours like an animal. So this motherfucker hunts you like a cheetah. Okay? Uh, uh, I'm gonna throw up. I hate it. Literally, the next line is, and quickly. (laughs) And quickly. So so if you see a person standing upright, and then they get down on their knuckles and toes and sprint at you, that's it. I'm done. I'm gonna faint. I'm sorry. I have a headache (laughs) from how much I hate this. (laughs) 
I had a visceral reaction to just throw up as soon as you said he went. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I could just imagine him. And imagine the shoulders like popping like they do on cheetahs as he runs. Ugh. Yeah. Sweet baby Jesus. The only thing that would be worse is if he was wearing some kind of creepy costume or something. I mean, he's covered in fur and has horns. What else do you want? Clown costume. That would make me want to Actually, it's in here. No, it's not um correlated. <laughs> that's that's no. Okay, his appearance is varied and contested. Okay, the descriptions change like based on which origin you believe, essentially, because there are several or- possible origins. He might origins. be furry. He's very furry. Oh no no no, he's definitely furry. But he might have horns. He might have glowing red eyes. He might have cloven hooves. He might be a sheep. <laughs> I would much rather him just be a regular sheep. <laughs> Okay, so, and there's also a theory that, like, he is wearing circus costuming because he was he was part of a circus, and he was super hairy and, like, deformed and gross, and then he was in the circus to make money for the circus master for being essentially a freak show, like, I mean, to sensationalize his oddities. They, like, dressed him, you know, circus-y. I'm sorry, American Horror Story who? Right. I, no. I, okay. I regret ever okay. saying that. So this this guy is super fucking hairy to the point that people back then thought he was a monster. And on top of that, we're adding old school props and masks for his clown costume, anyone? Freddy Krueger mask, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre props. Any of that added to him? <laughs> Visceral. <laughs> and old school props relied on uncanny valley more than accuracy right so like they wanted you to think it was a human but not quite a human because it's a natural fear reaction in humans yes they want you to be uncomfortable with it right i i'm uncomfortable i was uncomfortable at the point that you said he stood on both legs (laughs) i was uncomfortable the first time you said pope you didn't have to say lick I the Catholics like, make me cringe. I was already a little worried about okay. my sanity. <laughs> so, going with that theory that he's just, like, a dude that everyone made fun of because he was in a circus, he could potentially have had hypertrichosis, um, which is a medical condition where the symptoms are basically excessive body hair growth. Yes. So he really could have just been a very hairy man. Right. And there's there's cases of that. Right. Um, so that that would make sense. And it's usually, you know, like a genetic defect or a birth defect. So other possibilities include or could even be combined with the hypertrichosis are musculoskeletal deformities, mm-hmm. other birth defects, um, like blindness or hard of hearing or cleft palate, um, actual mutilation. I mean, it was back in the day. People right. were not nice to each other. No. And then... <laughs> There are even theories of bestiality to rationalize the existence of this Pope-like monster, which, uh, unfun fact, trademark, was legal in Kentucky until 2019. We're the best state. So, the first quote-unquote genuine sighting. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I just want to say real quick, you know... Why bestiality was legal for so long, correct? Why it was legal for so long? Yes. No, I don't know why it was legal for so long. We had to get those racehorses somehow. 
I know you hate me. You can go on and say that. Well, no, because I was thinking, no, we artificially inseminate for bloodlines and, and uh, uh, ensuring a viable pregnancy and all that. And then I was like, well, to be fair, you're fucking with an animal's genitals either way you go about it. So I guess that could technically be considered bestiality and not biology. But also, it's not really bestiality if you're not into it. So it was a whole thing happening in my head and I didn't feel like getting into it. <laughs> I just blew your mind. I'm so sorry. When was this when was this man like first seen? Okay. Unfortunately. So the first genuine quote unquote sighting was pre nineteen eighties. Ooh. With one woman claiming to have heard of it in the nineteen sixties from a high school sweetheart. Oh. So that's... like he was trying to be like, Oh, I'm all big and bad. I've seen the Pope like monster as they do. <laughs> so like, I'll protect you, sweetie. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to make out point and there's gonna be this guy with a hook on his hand that I'm gonna save you. No, instead of the guy with a hook on his hand, it's a bipedal furry goat monster with glowing red eyes. That runs at you on a That all runs fours. at you at all fours right. that likes trains. <laughs> it's terrifying. I mean, but I like trains too. I like trains, planes, and automobiles too. That went right over your head, doll. Oh, you're too innocent for that one. We'll talk later. What? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What's, what, what? Okay, But on. one version of the monster's origin story is that he was performing as a circus freak. Okay. And they were traveling on the train. And the train wrecked. Mm. Now, it varies here already. We're like two lines in. So, okay. either it killed him and he is now a ghost and is haunting the train tracks trying to take his vengeance. Or, and this one I like better, it allowed him to escape because most of the others were killed. And it was his chance at freedom and he was mistreated, you know, by right. not only the circus master but by his peers and by the, cl the customers. This actually lines up that... It's possible it was a train wreck because the earliest recorded train wreck on the trestle was in 1909 via the Courier Journal. Okay. Um, and if we're looking at it in the 1900s, someone with physical deformities didn't have a lot of options for work. So joining the circus makes sense. Right. So he faced lots of ridicule. He was mistreated and alienated and it just reinforced, you know, all these negative things that was probably already happening to him. Yeah. In consequence, now this is if he's a ghost... Okay. He would hide under the trestle and catch people's ankles, tripping them and holding them until the train came to finish the job. I'm sorry. I would rather die. I mean, I'm going to either way, but I'd rather die by my hands than by having something grab my ankles. Yeah, that's some wrong turn shit. And like, oh. and, and my lovely wife pointed this out to me not long ago. <laughs> okay. So like, you know how you go downstairs? You ever think about Things. going downstairs that don't have a back to yes, them and someone fucking slitting your Achilles tendon? I, I think of... Okay, I live in a one-story house, and I think about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I have I have stairs nowhere to be seen. I The only place I have stairs is going off of the porch, and I still think about that, knowing that the only thing that's behind those stairs are weeds. I mean, trip me all you want, but leave my tendons alone. I know that uh, that just added a whole new layer of ick onto this. <laughs> okay, tell tell so tell another her. another origin. 
No, no, we can't talk about it. I'm cringing. (laughs) (laughs) Another origin, though this wasn't popular until about the last 20 years or so, um, is that a local goat farmer began to seek immortalization. Oh. So, basically, he found devil worship um, out of fear for death. Uh, So, he turned to Satan because he was a coward, basically. And he's a goat farmer? Yes, he's a goat farmer. Oh, that's perfect. So, he sacrificed his goats... Like, as an ultimate offering, oh. you know, Baphomet's a symbol as a goat and all that. Yeah. And Lucifer did his thing and, and turned him into one of his flock. A demon. Turned him into a goat demon. Like Baphomet. Hot dog. So that the goat man, the farmer, would now do Satan's bidding, his killing, for eternity. Huh. Which is kind of sad for the farmer because, like, he wasn't made immortal as requested... But he was made eternal and a slave. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair... A murder slave. If you're making deals with the devil, there's always going to be a loophole. I mean, he needed to be more specific. He's like asking a genie for three wishes. Except it's Satan. Okay, but he paid Satan in goat blood. Well, that's obviously not enough. There was a whole transaction there. Well, apparently mm-hmm. the, the balance was not paid. Mm-hmm. And now he has to grab your ankles and hold you while train runs you over. So, now we've talked about the 1960s guy I mentioned he saw it to his girlfriend. 1909, there was a train wreck from Circus Freaks. And right. then in the last 20 years or so, there was a, a satanic goat farmer. Um, now, another origin is around the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And the Jefferson County residents actually have several theories around this time. Ooh. Um one theory is that there was an explosion. They they say it's a chemist, but, like, it was the 1900s in Kentucky, so I'm betting it was an old moonshiner um, whose distillery blew up um, yeah. and misfigured him, forcing him to be a recluse. Huh. Uh, there is a twisted mountain version of Ichabod Crane, kind of like he's a headless horseman for the train tracks because he only shows up before the train comes and you're going to die when the train comes because you can't run 750 feet faster than a train can. Right. And you can't survive jumping 100 feet onto the ground. (laughs) Yep. But realistically, I mean, for the skeptics out there, maybe it's just a hermit. You know, he happens to live by the tracks. Because not a lot of people like living by train tracks. They're loud. They sound like thunder. And they scream. They go, woo! And nobody wants to hear that when they're asleep. (laughs) Not really, no. (laughs) That's why property is cheaper by train tracks. And he comes out, you know, to warn teenagers off the trestle. Because, as teenagers do, they don't think that they're going to die ever. So they think it's a fun game to climb up the trestle and try to, quote-unquote, catch the monster. And this actually has happened so frequently that there are no trespassing countermeasures on the tracks and there have been multiple deaths. Oh, God. So, like, there's this fucking reclusive-ass old man that's like, get off my lawn, but it's like, (laughs) get off my trestle, and they're like, what the fuck? And then they turn around and there's a train. Oh. Huh. Neat. So, my my question is, is, like, the first person who gets yeeted by the train. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I know teenagers think they're invincible, because I was once a teenager, and I myself once thought I was invincible, but... I didn't think I was invincible. I just didn't care if I died. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think anyone was gonna... Not anyone, but anything was gonna kill me. Um, Now I almost die from flu, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, But, uh, 
like the first person who gets yeeted off the tracks or sorry trestle mm-hmm. by this train and ends up dying you would think that that would kind of deter people from going there and doing that do you think about how many people die in motorcycle accidents look i'm and not saying still, and people still ride motorcycles i'm not saying it makes sense i mean i am wait no wait pause <laughs> i'm not saying that like it, sh- it i'm not saying that it does but it should like oh, yeah. how everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it, like, the first death should have been a cautionary tale by itself. I'm sorry. For if sure. If I had to go through that whole scene in Stand By Me where I have to unrun a, outrun a train because I was looking for a, a magic goat man on this mm-hmm. bridge, mm-hmm. Um, I think I would be done chasing trains for a while. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. just me. I mean, personally. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Now, there is another... It's not necessarily an origin, but, like, it's it's a theory of why this story has come about and why it has persisted. Um, and it actually kind of dives deep into, like, socioeconomic issues, but mm-hmm. we're gonna give you the spark notes. Okay. So, like with most urban legends, myths, cults, um, it could have just been a community trying to rationalize a threat to their way of life. Okay. Not the goat man. <laughs> the... Um, the train itself was scary because an entire region of Appalachian folk, they, they, you know, they homesteaded and they mined coal and they did like down home hard work. They were left to themselves. You knew your neighbors within a five mile radius and that was it. Your life was just self-contained, right? And so the train comes in and it, it, brings industrialization and and changes that these people weren't looking for and didn't want. Would this change their way of life? Would it bring laws and decrees and government that they weren't being scrutinized by? Would it introduce, you know, more population to an area that they moved to and loved because it wasn't populous? Um, Would their homesteads be turned into, like, apartments so close you can touch your neighbor's window from your own, like London or New York? So it was just, it was, it was a threat to what people knew, and most people don't like that. It's really weird how in your story the train symbolizes, like, this, the unknown and the, and the steady approach of industrialization across Appalachia, which is terrifying. And then my story, the train symbolized health (laughs) and hope. (laughs) And it's, but the, but the funny thing is that's really the two sides of the coin in Kentucky when trains got introduced. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is the train in your story was just a normal train. Like it was on the ground. This is a trestle. This is a 750 foot long trestle. They are bridging the gap between mountains with a train, which means you can't get away from industrialization anymore. Right. Even over a mountain range. Right. So that seemed like it was never going to happen, happened. Right. Because if your fucking horse and buggy can't get up the mountain, how the fuck can the train? And the answer is it goes through it. And the, the answer is it just does. <laughs> Science. Um, if you aren't familiar with American Appalachian speech, which nobody is, not even the Appalachians. Yes. <laughs> You might not know how common it is for, like, cautionary tales, metaphors, symbolism, and correlation to be included in almost everything these folks do or say. Right. So, like, for example, sit down and rest yourself. Sitting is cheaper than standing. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a phrase. And when someone is visibly upset, you know, that may sound cheeky or, like, 
cold. Like, I don't care what you do, but sit the fuck down. Right. But the actual implication is, if you're ready to talk about it, I'll listen. But if you aren't ready to talk about it, I'll do what I can to help. Get off your feet, you know, rest. Right. Or um, another one is meaner than a striped snake and tougher than a pine knot. Which, if you've never heard somebody say that and you're in a strange area, you might straight up be like, there's a motherfucking alligator and I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, what'd she call me? She called me a snake? No, I would be like, there's a monster in them, in them their <laughs> woods meaner than a snake and tougher than a pine knot? Nope. Hard pass. I'd be like, that, that's a lot. <laughs> You can imagine the sayings and comparisons that people might have had for the trestle and for the train. Like, oh, it's a demon train, you know, and that being evolved over time. Especially in, like, the mind of a child or a teenager. And like I said, most of these people did homestead. Most of these people did have livestock and grew up around them. So, oh, it's a demon train and I know what a goat looks like. Like, there's a goat haunting the trestle. Like... Right. Or they just, they saw it one day and it got put into their subconscious and, you know, their Right, their it's like one of those life. things that nobody challenged the association of. Right. Yeah. Their schema hadn't changed because it was, it was a new, it was a new schema that was brought into their mind. So it kind of subconsciously and consciously formed into what they did know and what they didn't know and made scary yeah. train goat man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And even like... Not necessarily, like, the mountain folk, you know? There were German immigrants on record in Louisville um, as early as the 1880s. And if we know anything about Germans, it's that they love a dark cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, um, Krampus. Like Krampus. Or Max and Moritz, Mm -hmm. which is a collection uh, of cautionary children's tales. And maybe... like Grimm. They very well could have just been, like, you know, stay off the trestle. A goat's gonna kill you, right. because Germans. Because <laughs> because German uh, lullaby slash children's tales, they're uh, they're gruesome. Tm. <laughs> Whichever origins you prefer, the commonality is the Poplic monster has a hypnotic voice. Either he can mimic voices like a a Wendigo. Sorry. Help me, help me. And it's somebody that you love and can't say no to. Oh, God. So you go up there and the train's coming and you don't know it because it's around a blind bend. Right. Or he just has undeniable power in his voice like a siren. And it's how he lures his victims up the trestle. Now, again, you're in the mountains. Maybe it's the echo of a train horn off in the distance. Maybe it's an elk calling up on the top and you're in the valley and just you can't figure out what the sound is because if you've ever heard an elk call they are haunting and beautiful they are um or maybe it's just your friend daring you to do something dumb that little voice in the back of your head and you're 16 and your bro is like haha you're a pussy climb the tracks (laughs) you're gonna do it you're dumb but you're gonna do it yeah you're gonna do it so whether he exists or not The train does exist. The tracks are still active and in use. I'm sorry, what? The tracks, the trestle, the train trestle is still used. So this thing is still running. Yes. And using it. Yes. Great. (laughs) There is trespassing protection, but several people climb the fence, climb the trestle, and then they die. The trestle is a hundred feet in the air. 
That's 10 stories if you're doing 10 foot ceilings. And 750 feet long. That's what, like eight football fields? 100 yards is a football field, so that's 300 feet. So like two and some change football fields. I don't know sports or math. Thank you. <laughs> well, but unless you can run, you know, three football fields at 60 miles an hour, you're not going to beat this train. No. You're going to die. By the time you see or hear the train, it is too late. You can't outrun it. You can't hold on to the trestle. And you can't escape. So, whew, that was the story of the public monster. And to end, we are going to support local businesses. There's an attraction called the Legend of Pope Lick. It's at Pope Lick Park on Pope Lick Road in Louisville, Kentucky. It's in Pope Lick? Mm-hmm. It sure is. Oh, heck yeah. That sounds amazing. And I found the actual etymology of Pope Lick. It was in my notes, but I forgot about it. Oh, cool. Um... It was named after a local man, Mr. Pope, who owned the land. Um, and there was a lick, like a salt lick. Like, you know how we have Big Lick Creek? Yes. So it, yeah, became Pope Lick. Anyway, um, there's an attraction, Legend of Pope Lick, Louisville, Kentucky. If you want to see the Goat Man, go to this attraction. Do not climb the train trestle. Oh man. The attraction is an immersive horror-style escape room outside in the woods at night. I'm sorry. Armed with only a flashlight. Will you find the public monster or will he find you? Legal parent or guardian is required for under 17s. I hate that. I loved it, but that's scary. Also. Oh, also. (laughs) Also, there is apparently a play about public creek. Um, It's a drama exploring the virtues and fears of the Appalachian people during the turn of the industrial era, um, which we only very, very briefly touched on. Um, And it's deeply moving slash upsetting. um, So just be aware of that. I know for sure Berea College in Kentucky puts it on, um, but so do uh, several other colleges near the Louisville area. It is a play, though, so it's like when it happens, it happens. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. Okay. Um... It's called the Public Trestle. And that's it. Unless anyone wants to submit, like, fan art. Um, I would love a just say no campaign. Like, say no to drugs. But say no to the Public Monster. Say no to the Public Monster. And I want it in 1950s sci-fi horror style, please. Creature of the Black Lagoon, yes. <laughs> the email for that is crooksandcreeps at gmail.com. We take listener submissions. Uh, we'll read those once a month. Art submissions, uh, questions, collaborations. If you have, like, thoughts on the episode, please leave us a review. Um, and if you want to interact with us directly, you can join our Patreon. We'll be doing live Q&As, as well as the Facebook group. Find your community and get some conversation going between our creepy crawlies. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was cute. All right, cool. I tried. And, um, quick question. Quick answer. Okay. So, let's plug some Kentucky tourism. 
If you are also interested in learning a little bit more about Harrodsburg or Mercer County, Kentucky, please visit the following website at www.kentuckytourism.com slash Harrodsburg. There you're going to learn a lot of the history behind Harrodsburg, including some of the things we might cover later on in the series, which I will probably be doing, which is the old fort, Shaker Village, some other things as well, including the Mercantile House. So I'd be very appreciative if you wanted to learn a little bit more about Yale history of the old oldest town this side of the Appalachian Mountains that you go and visit there as well. Also, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the story behind some of Harrodsburg's things, please go visit Diamond Point Center. All right. And I'll try to put everything in the show notes. Creeps out. 